Welcome to another episode of GDPR Now. And this week, we're going to be looking at cookies. What cookies again? I can hear you say, and I say, yes, cookies again, because they keep coming back in the news. And in particular, this session, we are looking at cookie software. And we're going to do this in two parts. The first part, which is the part you're listening to now, is we're going to look at what the requirements are so we can see what we need from the cookie software. And the second part is actually reviewing three separate items of cookie software. So that's the plan. In the studio today, I have Karen Heaton, uh, who is who comes from Data Protection for Business, which is a DPO business, as you understand. Karen, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you, Mark. And thank you for having me today um, on this podcast. I'm really pleased to be here. I've listened to lots of your other podcasts. I'm really enjoying them. So thank you for that. Um, so yes, I'm Karen. Um, I have over 20 years in business operations experience. I've done a lot of systems implementations. I've worked with data, technology, financial service and regulations. And I founded our consultancy just over two years ago, set up primarily to assist small and medium-sized organisations with their data protection requirements. And one of my key areas of interest is looking at the various software solutions in the privacy tech field out there to see which solutions can be helpful for my clients. Uh, so that's obviously one of the reasons that Mark and I um, have done a review of the software products that we're going to talk to you about in the next episode of this podcast. Okay, thanks very much uh, for the introduction, Karen. Thanks a lot for helping with the uh, uh, the review of the software, which I started off thinking would be quite an easy thing to do, and that's actually quite hard, but we'll come to that later. So in this kind of part one phase, we're looking at just a broad overview of what uh, issues any kind of cookie management software should be covering. And what we're looking at essentially is we've got the ICO guidance has come out recently. We know that Keneal has put out some new guidelines. We know that the Fashion ID case has come out. We're going to look primarily at the ICO guidance. For those outside the UK, not that keen on the ICO necessarily. Well, it provides quite good documentation. We'll put the ICO guidance, uh, the link on the show notes and actually to be fair to the ICO, they've done a very good job in pulling a document together because every just about every assertion they have made uh, has got a link back to the to the foundation bit of software from which the assertion comes. Um, and the whole point of this is to go through the, the, the ICO's requirements or the general requirements and work out what the software needs to do. Now, just to remind everyone, uh, we've got two bits of software kind of both hovering around cookies. Uh, we've got the GDPR, and we've got, in the UK, it's called PECA, Privacy and Le Electronic Communications Regulation, but that's the implementation of the e-privacy directive. And the theory, in fact, is that the e-privacy di e directive dominates in its own area and GDPR dominates and anything else that's left over. Um, and that's the, the way it's been, in theory, set up. Now, in terms of, though you'll see later, of course, there's some confusion. Uh, in terms of what's a cookie, when we say cookie, we mean any kind of tracing technology, tracing or tracking technology, and in fact, including any, uh, anything, well, that includes things like pixels, well, normal cookies, pixels, beacons, tags, uh, and all that kind of stuff, which is on-device uh, mechanisms, uh, uh, but also fingerprinting, where someone can look at your device and recognize it with a, from a picture that's established earlier. That's what we mean by cookies. 
and also first party, third party cookies. First party cookies are you've got a website, you're putting the, the cookies there, and that includes cookies placed by your processor. Uh, and third party cookies is cookies placed by someone else like Facebook, the classic LinkedIn. example, LinkedIn, any of those, Instagram, or if you're much more marketing focused, it'll be all the people collect who trying to collect data about you for marketing purposes. Yeah, tech. And I think what's interesting about this point, Mark, is that some um, DPOs or business owners may not fully appreciate what cookies they've got on their website. And the website might have been developed by um, an external company. The marketing department might have said, oh, we want to be able to do X, Y and Z with our website. And there might be a whole load of cookies uh, in various shapes and sizes that are on the website that people might not know about. So I think it's really important that our listeners understand the differences, uh, for example, between first and third party cookies and what their responsibilities are in, in that respect. Uh, well, I think that's a really good point, actually. And we'll come on to cookie audits at some point later. But if you've got a size of website, you don't know what's in there. That's that's not a good thing. Um, so and then we're talking briefly about the cookies. I mean, essentially, there's there's two main types. There's the uh, essential cookie, which you don't need consent for. And then there's the non-essential cookie, which you do need consent for. Um, now, the test is slightly an artificial test. The test, an essential cookie, one which is strictly required for an online service requested by the user. Okay, and that's a slightly artificial test. Uh, maybe we'll touch on that later. But everything else needs consent. And because um, it requires consent, uh, we then come on to the technology we're talking about. Correct. Um, so as Mark just says, if you need consent, and it's highly likely that most of the cookies that you're running, with some exemptions, will need consent. The question then becomes, is how are you going to manage that consent? So, you know, I've looked at lots of cookie policies and websites. Um, I'm quite ferocious sometimes when it comes to being asked whether I want to consent on, to um, various types of categories of cookies, and I always say no. Um, so, and so... What's really important now is being able to understand what solutions or which solutions are out there to be able to manage the larger consent requirements that organisations are going to have. Okay, now, the other thing actually, we both, neither of us have touched on it, but the, so although we have this slightly odd situation that you've got PECA distinct from GDPR, PECA, the ePrivacy Directive, PECA in the UK, ePRIVACY Directive is implemented in the rest of the European Union, imports GDPR consent, actually the GDPR notice requirements into uh, the cookie provisions. So when you're getting consent for a cookie or you're giving uh, notices about the cookie, what, what the cookie is for, what information is going to be used for, you are expected to comply with the GDPR requirements, which is quite, quite high. Yeah, so there's, there's tough standards. Uh, organisations need to understand what those standards are and make sure that their notices and policies apply those standards effectively. Um, and one of the important things, of course, is that if you're getting consent, then the user, well, there's two things. One, the accountability principle. You have to be able to demonstrate you've got consent. So you need to demonstrate you got it from this. It won't be a person, it'll be a device, effectively. Uh, this device on that date, and this how you, that's how you captured it. Um, and you also, the people need the ability to revoke consent, right? It's GDPR consent. It, it's not, you know, it can always be revoked. So um, 
the software mechanism, the software you're using will need to be able to allow people to go back. Well, we'll need to be able to track consent and allow people to come back three weeks later, three days later, three months later and say, actually, I've changed my mind. I'm, I'm revoking the consent I've given. Exactly. And, you know, coming back to my point on what is generally in cookie policies um, on many websites, a lot of websites will say you can um, man users can manage their preferences at the browser level, but that particular point has been addressed by the ICO guidance and they've said quite clearly that at this point in time, the technology um, in the browser level settings is just not good enough. So if that's the case, again, what are organisations going to use to manage the consent from their various individuals? Okay, so we have, in fact, the both the CNIL, the French ICO, and the ISO said that actually, and CNIL made went one step further, and I think correctly, than the ICO, and said your cookie notice must tell people that they can revoke consent at a later date they want to, which is uh, a sensible thing to say anyway. Yeah. Now that's giving you a broad overview. We're going to dip into a bit more detail at the how the ICO classified um, necessary cookies as opposed to non-necessary cookies. But bear in mind, uh, we're not doing a deep dive at this point. If you'd like us to do a deep dive, uh, you get the you can drop us an email. You get the the details in the show notes and say, "Can we have a deep dive on this stuff, please?" And we'll organise that. But it's not a deep dive at the moment. And but we do need to bear in mind is um, that whatever software you choose needs a certain amount of flexibility in it. And I say that because the what there's what the ICO says, uh, which is not the same as what the Keneal says, and then you've got the fashion ID decision, which is not, not the same as what either of them said, and then you've got the privacy regulation due next year. So whatever the status is now, it's going to be changing between now and then, um, and so just need uh, software that gives you enough flexibility that you can change things. Correct, and I think we can assume that whatever comes out next year is not going to be of a lesser standard than what's already in place. It's going to be of a higher standard. So for organisations who are thinking, oh, well, maybe the new e-privacy uh, regulations will be easier than what they are now, that's um, nothing that we've heard certainly points to that. So expect the new regulations to be as tough as GDPR. So you might as well now start at looking at what solutions uh, you can find to assist you with what's coming up um, next year. And what, what do you think, Karen, what about people who are outside the European Union, which could be all the Brits listening to this by the time this comes out, who yes. knows? Um, <laughs> but how should they be looking at this? Should they say, oh, cookies doesn't affect us? Or what do you think the right way of looking at it is? Well, it's interesting because the ICO has given some guidance on websites which are outside of the EEA and how they should be treated. And so what they basically said is that if, it, if it's clearly obvious that a website allows individuals within the EEA to set up an account and buy goods and services um, across multiple currencies, possibly multiple languages, it can be ascertained that that um, website owner needs to ensure that GDPR level standards applies to the cookies that it's setting. Even though currently the e-privacy directive itself and Pecker in the UK does not specify an extraterritorial scope. Uh, we expect obviously that to come in the new e-privacy regulations. Um, but that aside, if it's very clear that you're offering goods and services to um, individuals within the EU, 
you need to be ready to have appropriate levels of consent management on your website. So if I summarise that, and you tell me if I'm getting this right or wrong, if you're in the U European Union, you've got this distinction between the e-privacy directive and the GDPR, and there's this kind of slight confusion as to what applies at any one particular point. But if you're outside the European Union, then actually the e-privacy directive doesn't apply to you at all because that's a directive, not regulation. Correct. So the GDPR, so if your cookie is dealing with any form of online identifier and or personal information, which kind of inevitably it must be doing, then you kind of fall into the GDPR if you trigger the, is it, I can't remember if it's Article 2 Article 3, but the one, the one with the extraterritorial effect, that one. Yes, exactly. Okay. But I mean, what the guidance also makes clear is that, you know, it's important to look at every individual circumstance, apply common sense, you know, on balance, does it appear that an organisation is selling goods and services into the EEA and individuals um, within the EEA? So... Yes, there will be grey areas, but you know, look at every look at what your business is doing, understand how the website's operating, and then make um, a, an informed and, and reasonable decision. Okay, so then let's look at so the ICO helpfully set out a table show. These ones are these types of queries are normally uh, treated as strictly necessary, therefore don't require consent, whereas these other ones are not necessary and do require consent. Yeah. Now, we're going to go through them kind of briefly so I'm going to get a flavour of it. Just bear in mind that, uh, of course, this is high-level guidance. Uh, one of the things we're not going to talk about in any particular detail is how you can set cookie to be a session cookie in you know, a long period, to be an indefinite cookie, and that has an impact on, at least according to the ICO, rightly or wrongly, has an impact on whether it falls into one category or the other. So the so just looking at, at the ICO categories now, on the strictly necessary, so uh, don't need consent, it's an ICO, I'll read out the list straight away and then we'll come come back to them. User input authentication, security, streaming content, network management, user preference. Okay, so user input is um, more or less is what it, what it sounds like. So, uh, a session cookie to track user input for specific functions of a service, a shopping basket or completing a form. That's the classic example. Yeah. And that's fairly obvious yeah. that a user would need that information stored to make their shopping experience effective and work. Okay. So that's brilliant. Okay, so that's that's one. You're on Amazon and you put something in a shopping basket and you move to another page or whatever, you come back later, you want the shopping basket, the shopping trolley to remember what you put in five minutes ago. That's fair enough. It's a strict, now, it's a quick digression. Uh, one of the reasons we're not doing a deep dive here, some of the stuff has been covered in earlier podcasts, but actually, you kind of wonder that this test of strictly necessary is explicitly requested by the user. Well, if you refer to previous podcasts, you'll say, my view at least is no user explicitly requests that. They just expect the functionality to be there. But let's leave that for the moment. Uh, authentication, uh, then, yeah, uh, typically uh, you can have a, a cookie which validates that you are who you are. Yeah. And that kind, of, uh, that kind of makes sense. So they can remember you on subsequent visits as well. Um, third one, security. Yes, again, kind of fairly obvious. Um, then we can't, Then the next one is kind of uh, um, streaming content. Um, kind of an odd one to put it's in, actually. It is an odd one. I agree with you, yes. 
Um, I think someone at the ICO offices, which must have shouted, uh, what about Netflix? I want <laughs> yes. to watch Netflix. What about Amazon Prime? But, um, but interestingly, it says um, what the guidance is trying to say is um, the streaming media forms part of the service that the user has explicitly requested. So if your service is one that is something like Netflix and streaming content is part of it, then that is the um, common sense test that you, you would want to apply to that. But then it makes a distinction. So if you're not Netflix and you're somebody else and you've got, I don't know, the Mark Show at Edwards.com uh, website, for example, um, and I put some uh, online video stuff on that of me on my holidays because I know everyone's fascinated, um, then, you know, then if I placed a cookie as a result of that, that would not necessary. Uh, be necessary. So it's not, yep. hasn't been requested. Yeah. Um, then, then there's another one from network management, which is actually falls outside this strictly necessary test. It's a subsection of, of e-privacy directive PECA. So let's just exclude that. But that's that one there. And then the final one, which uh, is, is considered by the ICA strictly necessary, is user preference. Uh, so that you could, I remember you want you want a font, particular font or particular color or language. a particular language and so on. Now. Those are the strictly necessary ones which don't require consent. I don't su suggest that's a closed list. Other things can come on the list. Other do they are the justified or not justified. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably putting it worth putting a couple of caveats in there. One is about the timelines. So, for example, in terms of user preference, the ICO says session cookies used to store user's preference can rely on the strictly necessary exemption, provided they are not linked to a persistent identifier. Okay, I'm not quite sure why that would be the case, so that's their view. Um, uh, some cases also apply persistent cookies, but the user must be given sufficient information in a prominent location. So obviously the difference between the session cookies and the persistent cookies is the session information only lasts while the user is on your website in that particular session. So information that then persists and it lasts over a longer period of time the requirements for capturing and using that information are yeah. higher. Yeah, I think I think the um, so the, kind of the rule of thumb is the shorter the your, the shorter the life of your cookies, uh, the more likely you are, you are to fall within the with the regulations. The longer they are, arguably the less likely. Um, the other they, aspect of that, of course, is the purpose limitation yes, of the cookies, which is um, referenced a lot in the, cookie, in the ICO guidance. And that's where um, a business or a web, and a website owner needs to be sure that they understand what they're going to do with the information gathered from the cookie. Um, is, the is the information going to be used in the way that the user has consented to that information being used? And so purpose limitation is the term that's used in the ICO guidance, and that comes up a lot. So you, you, know, you can't just gather information about individuals in cookies and then decide to go off and do lots of different things with it. Yeah, so the consent is limited to a particular purpose. Um, so if you want to use uh, the cookie for another purpose, Oh, and maybe it's the same purpose, but for d different function, if I could put it that way, um, then that doesn't work either. Um, okay, so those are the necessary ones. And these are the, now we're going to go through briefly the ones which um, the ICO says you need uh, consent for. Um, it starts off with social media plugins. 
consent required? Well, no huge surprise. Not a there. surprise there at all. No. Not a surprise perhaps to some DPOs, but it might be a surprise to some website owners if they've got a link to Facebook or LinkedIn, etc. That is technically um, a social media plugin. Now, there are some other things to then be discussed around who's the controller, who's the processor, are you joint controllers with the information that's gathered. But I think what's really important here is that if you're a website owner and you are using a social media plugin, you're responsible for ensuring that the consent is properly obtained from the visitor to your website before passing that information through to the social media platform. And then just check that's also your understanding yes. of it. So, so yeah, Karen is referring to the Fashion ID case, which is a German, uh, Fashion ID is a German online retailer. And the case went to the ECJ, European Court of Justice, who published a decision, I don't know, about four or five weeks ago. And one of the things the court said was, uh, and there was a fashion idea, it was actually a Facebook plugin. Uh, it said a couple of things. One is, um, who's sorry, so there's a plugin, and would, it was treated like, and I think it, it, well, it was a cookie, so it's treated like a cookie in some respects. Um, who needs to collect the consent? Who needs to issue the notices? Is it Facebook? Is it Fashion ID? And the ECJ said, no, it's the website operator, it's Fashion ID. Basically, people go there for Fashion ID. People don't go there to meet a Facebook plugin. Makes sense. Uh, another thing they said, which was um, interesting, is that they're both joint controllers. Uh, so just to make everyone's life a bit harder, um, all website operators will now need um, joint controller agreements, like Article 26 of the um, GDPR, for all third-party cookies. Now, if you're some big, um, I don't know, publisher, and you've got 200 cookies on your uh, third-party cookies on your website, that's a lot of work, but then you've got the resources to do it. If you're a small publisher and you've got 10 uh, third-party cookies, that's probably actually effectively a lot more work for you. But that, that's what, what it says. You're joint controllers, and there you go. Um, interesting thing is that the in this in the ICO paper, they're suggesting that if you turn up on one of these sites, which is with the social, uh, with the Facebook like social media plugin there, and you're already, lo already logged in uh, to Facebook, you're a member of Facebook, then actually the, the website operator could actually say, well, actually, this is your quest, this is service that you, the visitor, have requested, and therefore um, it wouldn't need consent. It's kind of what it hints it might be the case. But in fact, in the Fashion ID case, in the Advocate General's opinion, he said, no, I don't agree with that. Even if they're logged in? Even if they're logged in, yeah. no. Why should they be treated any different? You can see his point. Um, okay, social media tracking. Well, I'm not sure what the difference between that and a social media plugin is, but again, uh, con consent required. Anything which is... I think you can assume safely that anything which is uh, cross-device uh, or kind of location tracking is, a require some, is going to require consent. Uh, online advertising, well, no surprise if you followed our podcast on the ICO's uh, paper on online advertising and ad tech and real-time bidding, consent required. It's hard to argue, to be blunt. Um, that it's strictly necessary for a service that you receive advertising. Uh, cross device tracking. I'd just like to make a point on the yeah. online advertising. You know, you know, we, we both agree that actually it'd be really tough to argue that you could 
um, get away with that without asking for consent. But I go on so many websites where they've got um, opt-ins pre-selected. They use some sometimes quite devious tricks to, you know, long lists of vendors and stuff to get you to put you off um, just accepting their default settings, etc. So, you know, the ICO has signaled that this is an area they're going to be looking into in the future. So, um, so yeah, I think the difference here is between what's happening out there in the real world and what the regulations and the guidance are saying. I think there's a huge gap at the moment. And that's why I think it's really important that website operators really understand what their responsibilities are and start to think really quite seriously about what consent management tools they're going to need to use. No, I think that's a very good point. I think the ICO has highlighted it's going to be looking at the people's use of cookies uh, going forward. Also, to, to be blunt, it's quite easy for them to look at it. They don't have to leave their desk to do it. They just work through the system. How then they're going to follow up? I suspect they'll send out letters to various people saying, or maybe it's what they'll do, look to your cookie consent, doesn't look very good, doesn't look like it's compliant, you've got you know, 60 days to do something better and see what happens. Um, and the point, one of the points they make, and actually it's a fair point to, to what Karen's saying as well, is they kind of, the, the ICO uses the word nudge, right? So when you give the people, the, the, you've got to give people a fair choice to consent or not consent. What you can't do is have a huge button which says consent, consent. and nothing where, where it says, says I, I don't agree. Or you've got to click on three or four different links and yeah. navigate through something very complicated. That's just not... It's yeah. just not, it's not fair and reasonable. You apply your common sense test again. It's pretty obvious that you're trying to nudge the, the user into accepting everything. Yeah, and, uh, and actually, to, uh, I must say, the more one looks at them, you know, you're kind of uh, surfing the web, the more you've seen more non-compliant stuff. And often the one with the advertising ones are the worst. And you want to, you kind of reject, uh, you click on the category which says, you know, online marketing or whatever. It then opens up the whole list of 200. And then you have to individually uh, uncosh them. Now, uh, I think on the ICO's view, that's clearly not okay. And the, the Keneal, I think, was very explicit. That's not okay. So um, that's um, that kind of... Um, we hope those practices will slowly disappear. Yeah. Well, they will, no doubt, over time. But that comes back to GDPR consent, right? Freely given is what they're talking about. Freely means no detriment and kind of... You can't twist, put people... You can't make it... You've got to make it easy... In theory, you've got to make it as easy to say yes as it is to say no. And the final one, where which is some surprise everyone, um, but you can see the ICO's logic is analytics. Yes, this is really interesting, actually. Um, so they're saying that analytics, um, a lot of people have been viewing analytics as strictly necessary, or they have a legit legitimate business interest to have analytics cookies on. Um, but in this guidance, in um, primarily their guidance is consents required and you cannot use a strictly necessary exemption. However, further on the guidance, it, it softens a little. And, you know, there is the suggestion that you could have, for example, analytics cookies set to on as opposed to set to off, as with the other ones. And the, the ICO has sort of said that if the analytics that you are capturing through the cookies are, for, are first party cookies, i.e. those are cookies you, your, the business sets themselves, not third party cookies. If, if the analytics are being collected 
are purely for your own analytical purposes within your organisation to see how the website's being used, then they would, how did they put it, Mark, uh, deprioritise this from um, regulatory review, I think was... Yeah, so we, this was covered in, in an earlier, I, I totally agree, this was covered in an earlier podcast. So the ICO is in a bit of a sticky position because, frankly, a lot of the... Um, the PECA essential definition stuff doesn't really work, at least in my view. Look, if you look at the earlier podcast, if you um, uh, <clears throat> if you want to see the reasoning behind that, um, but they can't really turn around as a regulator and just say, yeah, clearly analytics have been request explicitly requested by the user because no user ever requests request analytics. analytics. Why would they? So what they've done is they've set, they've set out the kind of formal take, and then right at the end. Um, they said, and it, it's, it's slightly broader than analytics actually, but so what it says is uh, it's unlikely that priority for any formal action will be given to uses of cookies where there is a low level of intrusiveness and a low risk of harm to individuals. And then it goes, for example, the ICO is unlikely to prioritise first party cookies used for analytics purposes where these have a low privacy risk or those that mainly support the accessibility of sites and services for regulatory action. So basically, it's saying, in, uh, it can't say we're disapplying the law, uh, or it can't say the law doesn't apply, we've changed it. It's saying, if, you, if you're sensible um, and use first party cookies and, and, and don't share the data with loads of other people and don't do cross-device tracking and disclose enough ahead of time, uh, and that could be by being very explicit about browsers. And that instance maybe doesn't work, but maybe better still would be uh, an opt-out consent rather than an opt-in consent yeah. with, with full disclosure, then they can be more relaxed about it. Um, now, first-party cookies here, I think, includes processor uh, cookies placed by your processor. So Google Analytics uh, is typically is acting as your processor and, and providing that, that, that data back to you. Though there are some tweaks if you look at the Google, Google Analytics settings where they act as a controller in their own right, but typically they're a processor for you, the website operators, so you're going to be okay there. So that's just, and interestingly, the, the, the CNEO came to more or less the same, more or less the same um, uh, result on, on analytics. So that's a quick canter through. Now, um, the other things to bear in mind, I mean, there's some generic points to bear in mind. We've touched on them. Purpose limitation, okay? That's important, right? G permission to X doesn't mean permission to do uh, Y and Z. You can't rely on the browser settings. That's right, that's, that's new in the ICO guidance. Yeah, that just saying, A lot of people are re relying on browser settings. If, as yeah, if your privacy policy is explicitly relying on browser settings, that's probably not a good idea at the moment. Um, and both the CNIL actually and the ICO say that, and and they're saying the future may be okay, at the moment it isn't. Be careful about pre-enabled cookies where it's already opt-in, except for where the ones we just discussed, there's a low low privacy risk, low level intrusiveness, and low risk of harm to individuals. Um, and then it's worth reviewing the persistence of your cookies. Do, you, do they need to last for 10 years or five years or three years? Can you make them shorter? The shorter they are, the, the, le the less problems they raise. Yeah, correct. And so a few other points that might be worth mentioning here um, to bear in mind um, from a compliance perspective. 
you know, or, organised really should invest time in understanding what their responsibilities for cookies are and then understanding in detail which cookies or other um, devices they've got running on their websites. An audit, there's some really useful information in the guidance about undertaking a cookie audit and obviously that's something that we'll provide a solution for when we discuss the various software solutions that we've reviewed. Um, you're going to need to review and update your cookie policy so if you've got stuff in there about users just setting the browser settings then that's probably not going to be enough uh, moving forward for consent guidelines. Understand uh, consent and what it looks like, so clear and positive action, let them know what the cookies are and what they do, no pre-ticked boxes except for the exceptions we've discussed, so the strictly necessary, and analytics cookies where it's first party cookies used for your own um, uses only. Um, third party cookies must be named, users must have controls over non-essential cookies. Um, and also ensure non-essential cookies or scripts or technologies don't run until a user, user has consented. And in fact, that's one of a, a number of questions we very specifically asked the three software vendors that um, we reviewed. So, you know, it's important that the software is going to be able to do that as well. Yeah, so it comes back to GDPR consent, consent, isn't it? You yeah. can't place anything until the, if it requires consent, you can't take any action until the consent's been given. And um, internal networks are not necessarily treated the same way by the e-privacy directive if they're not public electronic communication services. But if you've got a large corporate network that's tracking people, then that's a slightly different case. So, so yeah, just a few things to think about there. Okay, so I think, and I think the I think we're just going to wrap up this first part first part now. But I think one of the things, I'm just looking at Karen, see if she agrees with me. I think the I mean, different people want to make different use of cookies and information they gather with cookies. And, and there is some flex and quite, quite a flex, a lot of gray in the law at the moment and quite a lot of movement. So it's quite a fast moving animal. So the issue, the issue here is if a website operator you, and you want to, or even a third party cookie provider, and you want to uh, uh, place cookies, gather information, explore the information, you've got to kind of do a risk risk reward analysis between uh, how far you can push things and not fall far out of the law and that depends and that depends you know exactly on what you're doing how you're doing it, and that kind of thing so if you've got uh, if you've got an in-house uh, um, data privacy person or an external data privacy person that is probably worth worthwhile sitting down with them and chatting that through because it, you can go directly to the safest route, clearly, yeah. but then you lose business benefit. Potentially, yeah, exactly. And also, because this is a highly technical area, you know, you're going to need to befriend people in IT or your web developers, etc. So um, having someone with the technical knowledge to assist through the analysis and the decision making that you're going to need to do for your cookie consent would be also extremely useful. Okay, so I think uh, we've come to time there. So thanks very much, Karen, Thank for, you for uh, having taking, me. taking part in this, the first part. Um, contact details of Karen will be in the show notes. If you've got any other questions, suggestions for topics or would like to be in the podcast, please drop us a line at um, 
info, this is dpo.co.uk. Just to remind you that this show is brought to you by this is dpo at this is dpo.uk. My name is Mark Sherwood Edwards, and hopefully uh, meet you on the ether again soon.